what up what up welcome back to sam dunks slab stocks weekly nba update podcast hey if you don't follow slab stocks on instagram what are you even doing with your life go give us a follow tell your friends to follow as well hey and by the way probably the best thing you can do for your card part portfolio is to pause this right now Navigate to slabstocks.com, and at the top of the page, you see a little box that says Daily Investment Newsletter. Put your email in there, click Submit. Easy as that. Three to five times a day, you're going to receive emails of great card deals on eBay, as well as valuable information as of, of who you should be looking for and who you should be targeting and what prices you should be targeting. It's a free, it's an indispensable resource, so click pause, go do that right now. All right, thanks for doing that. Uh, back to NBA action for the past couple of weeks. The biggest news in the NBA a few weeks ago was Damian Lillard, who went absolutely supernova on the league. Just absolutely incredible offensive output for him for several weeks. And then he strained his groin on February 12th, and he's missed three great three games with that so far coming out of the All-Star break. He's expected to miss, quote-unquote, a couple more games. Who knows how long that will be. Uh, if you've ever strained your groin before, it is absolutely terrible, and even when you're good to go again, it can be really difficult to move as freely as you had before the injury. Of course, the NBA has a lot better treatment and uh, other stuff available for NBA players, much better than the treatment that I received at a small northern Wisconsin high school basketball team, but still, it's likely going to be pretty crappy for him for at least a few weeks after he returns. The Blazers are 1-2 and two in the three games since he's been out, 1-4 and four without him on the season. Do have a pretty soft schedule over the next week or so at Indiana, at Atlanta, Atlanta, at Orlando, but I would expect at least a couple of losses in there. With the Blazers back three games for Memphis and with New Orleans surging lately, it's just not a super good time to be investing in Damian Lillard. My guess is that Memphis kind of falls off as they have since the trade trade deadline and that New Orleans surges continues to surge takes that eighth spot and when Lillard returns a bit slow he'll probably be unable to carry that team to the playoffs so I'm guessing the market is going to cool on him somewhat a lot of the people have been asking if his cards will continue to rise after his return and, and into next year but you know really it took so long for his card market to catch up to his abilities and now that that stretches in the rearview mirror I'm just guessing that he won't be factoring into our conversations in June, and I think that that stretch, while it was fun as it lasted, it's probably done as far as this season is concerned. Uh, obviously, if he comes out of this and starts bombing from 30 feet out and scoring 35 game again, everything I just said is irrelevant, but thinking along the most likely scenarios, I think the real growth is done for this year. PSA 10 prism base rookie cards are down almost 20% since his injury, and it's hard to say that they'll regain that, that ground this season. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Damian Lillard, but I just don't think the potential is there anymore as far as this year is concerned. So perhaps, if they miss the playoffs, you might have a better buying opportunity in June and July, and that will be something to, be, to watch, but for the rest of this year, I'm not sure that there's much to be gained. Damian Lillard, he was the big story for the last couple of weeks, or for two weeks ago, the biggest story in the league right now over the last couple of weeks, my boy Jason Tatum. Actually, not my boy at all. Generally, I've really disliked Jason Tatum, but that's simply as a fan of a fellow Eastern Conference contender. I've always thought he was a good player, but 
you know, what I hated about him and what most people dislike about Tatum is that he has benefited more than anyone from all the hot air coming out of the Boston sports media. You probably remember when he was drafted. All the talk was that he was an 8-time All-Star, 12-time All-Star, future MVP, yada, yada, yada. So much of his market was inflated by all this hype. But that's really okay. You know, the market dictates card prices. I constantly see people complaining about the prices of various guys. How Trey Young should be going for more. How Zion is going for too much. Hey, you know what? Whatever these guys are going for... That's their value. The market dictates the value of a card. And if a guy gets drafted by Boston, his cards are just going to be worth more than if he'd been drafted by Charlotte or Sacramento. Not to throw those fan bases under the bus. So Tatum, from the jump, he's been one of these guys that, that maybe some would consider overvalued, but really, he's about as good of a long-term buy right now as anyone. His base prism rookie card PSA 10s are up 132% since the middle of last offseason. Over that same time period, his prism silver rookie card PSA 10s are up about 138%. Now, one of the traps that we can fall into as investors is looking at an investment that has skyrocketed, like Tatum's rookie cards, and you look at that 130-ish percent gain and think, crap, I missed out, wish I'd bought them this summer, and then you move on to someone else. Yes, you did miss out. And there's nothing you can do about that now, so don't worry about it. But let's think about the future. Since the All-Star break, Tatum is averaging 35 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 2.5 stocks, steals and blocks. And he's shooting great from absolutely everywhere. He's been playing really good defense, and he's starting to look like one of the next great two-way players. And those guys just sell all day and night. You know, 21 years old. He just made his first All-Star team, and he really is probably going to make the next eight All-Star games at least. I don't know if he's ever going to be an MVP, but all NBA teams are definitely in the conversation. And if you have money to invest long-term, imagine a 26-year-old Tatum in five years on six straight All-Star appearances, three straight All-NBA first-team appearances playing for Boston, and the current going rate of his PSA 10 Silvers at 520? All of a sudden, that becomes an absolute steal. So I wouldn't get too hung up on what you missed out on because that will cause you to continue to miss out. Instead, consider whether a guy can continue to produce in a good situation and you can still capitalize on a tremendous amount of upside. Now, personally, as a fan, I still hate him. And maybe you do too. But don't let that blind you to the future value here. Now here's a question for you. Would you rather have on the court for these next five years Ben Simmons or Jason Tatum? I think I'd lean Tatum, although many could make an equally good case for Simmons. As far as investing goes, maybe that's a little bit different of a question, and it's an interesting one. Who would you rather invest in for the next five years, Tatum or Simmons? I'm getting a bit wary of Simmons, to be honest. I've said before that I think this team ultimately combusts this year and is probably broken apart at least a bit this offseason. You know, they hamstrung themselves with the Horford signing this last year, and the team just doesn't fit well together, and they don't really seem to get along, and they don't have any financial flexibility. If Embiid is shipped out of town, that opens a lot for Simmons, so there's a ton of upside still with him, even as early as next year. But he's out, at least for a bit here with a nerve impingement in his back, which sounds just terrible. He's never really struggled with injuries, at least since he started playing, but anytime there's a nerve-related injury, you have to be at least a little nervous. I do just wonder, though, and I realize this is going to sound very fickle, but does Simmons have the personality that's ever really going to win over Philly fans long-term? Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver were talking about this on their podcast this week, The Greatest Ball Talk. 
Uh, they asked, who do you think Joel Embiid has talked to more this season, Jimmy Butler or Ben Simmons? And I think the answer is probably Butler. You know, Simmons and Embiid just really don't seem to like each other. They're both bristly, but in totally different ways. Embiid is rather over the top, and Simmons is just kind of seemingly indifferent at times, which, hey, if that's your personality, that's totally fine. I'm not saying he has to change who he is, but thinking as a card investor, it's just really not what you're looking for. He's a very good player, but he hasn't made any marked improvements in, his, in the weak areas of his games, which is just not a good sign. I could see a scenario in the temperamental Philadelphia market, which, by the way, I have family from Philly. My, my ancestors are from Philadelphia, so I understand it. In the temperamental Philadelphia market, where it could all sort of turn on Ben Simmons if he doesn't build a winner here over the next couple seasons, and that's just not going to play well in the card market either. I still think he's a fine investment, but if we are comparing Tatum to Simmons, as I started out comparing, I think Tatum is a much safer investment moving forward, especially considering Simmons' PSA 10 silvers are currently going for around 740 bucks, so quite a bit more than Tatum's. I just think you're getting more bang for your buck with Jason Tatum. You probably won't go wrong with Ben Simmons, but it's a bit riskier than Tatum for me, and I like making the more surefire investments. Speaking of combustible teams, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. I've seen a number of questions now over the past week or so asking about the tertiary players on the Nets, you know, guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, and whether they're going to be good buys going into next season as Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving return to the court and hopefully build a, a contending team. And I just really don't think that they are going to be good buys. You know, both of these guys have played much better without Kyrie than with him. And next year, you throw Durant into the mix as well. At the trade deadline, there was also rumors that Dinwiddie was on, was the, the Nets were looking to move on from Dinwiddie, likely at Kyrie Irving's urging. So I just don't think that going into next year, there's going to be enough room to feed Dinwiddie and Levert. And I think it's best to not plan on earning a profit from these guys. I also really am not sure if the Kyrie-Kevin uh, Durant pairing is going to work all that great next year. We've seen time and again that buddy ball really just is not the best way to build a team. So I would generally stay away from Nets players for the next year or two, which pains me to say because I really like Dinwiddie and Levert and, and Nick Claxton and some of these other guys. I just don't think their surroundings are going to result in much of a return at all. Probably best to spend your money elsewhere, even if these guys are only going for cheap. Now, that being said, I think especially with Dinwiddie, there is some short-term potentially here with Kyrie's absence. Yeah, there has been a noticeable uptick in demand since the beginning of, or since he began starting in November when Kyrie first went down. And that's really started to pick up again since Kyrie went down for the year just recently. So perhaps with Spencer Dinwiddie, there is some short-term value for him as demand tends to drive price, but I wouldn't plan on any big returns, especially not long-term. Hey, here's a young guy that's been showing some promise lately, Cam Reddish. He's made steady improvements month by month throughout the year. He started October shooting only 5% from three on a small sample. That bumped up to 28% in November, 31% in December, 40% in January. Field goal percentage did the same, 21% to 32% to 36% to 41%. Uh, points have likewise gone up each month, as obviously would generally happen when your percentages increase. He was really, really, really terrible to start the year, and lately he's been playing pretty well. I know Hawks fans are very hopeful for him, and while I have not been nearly as high on him, in fact, I've disparaged him quite a bit around here, I do like his potential much more than his teammate DeAndre Hunter, who he's generally fighting for minutes with. 
He's still not shooting the lights out by any stretch, but the month-by-month -month improvement for a young player is exactly what we're looking for. So the future is significantly brighter than it was before, which was just about as dark and gloomy as it could get for any player. His ungraded prism silvers are going for around $25 right now, which seems like a pretty fair price. I do worry a bit what's going to happen with him moving forward. You know, Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella, they're pretty cemented into their spots moving forward. Cam Reddish is going to have to be fighting with DeAndre Hunter for minutes over the next few seasons, and I don't think the Hawks are just going to move on from the fourth overall pick in DeAndre Hunter. So while the future is looking brighter and while the improvements are very promising, unless something changes, it might be a bit limited of an upside for investors. There's no good segue into this guy, so I'm just going to say his name. Mitchell Robinson. You know, I was really hoping the trade deadline would free up minutes for Robinson, and that just hasn't been the case so far. In the game since the deadline, he's averaged 23 minutes per game with 10 points and three and just over three blocks, which is really his calling card. But in that same time, Taj Gibson has seen the court for 13 and a half minutes per game, Bobby Porras for 21 minutes per game, and I just don't understand it. Neither of those guys have any future with the Knicks, and the Knicks are just about as far away from contending as any team could be. They have nothing to play for the, for the rest of the season, and you simply are not showcasing any of these vets. You know, the young guys, I don't like all of them, but they need to be playing. Kevin Knox, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, just throw them out there and see what you have. You know, Mitchell Robinson came into the season with a lot of hype, which hiked his Prism Silver rookie card PSA 10s up over $100 in the beginning of October, and those are now sitting around 50 bucks. And I don't think there's really any value to be gained this season. I don't think the Nets are even gonna, Knicks are even going to give him the opportunity for whatever reason. But I could see an off-season scenario where they pretty much clean house and start hyping him up again. Then you'll see some short-term potential. I wouldn't be buying, but if you could hold until the beginning of next season, that might be a good selling opportunity. I think there might be a siren or a train in the background. I'm sorry if that's coming through. It's getting kind of annoying for me. I wanted to end briefly with a couple of young guards that are of interest. Uh, first off, Kobe White of the Chicago Bulls. A really, really good last couple of games for Kobe White. 101 points in three games, which is incredible for the 20-year-old. 33 points, 33 points, 35 points. It does come on the back of 58% from three-point land, which will obviously not continue. Auctions on his ungraded Prism Silvers have been going up into the mid $30, which is up about 50% from last week. And some buy it nows have been astonishingly going for 80 to 90 bucks on the back of this scoring binge. He is not going to keep that up, and I'm generally staying away from everything bulls. So if you are holding and looking to sell, this could be a good time to do that. Uh, the last guy I'm going to talk about is Kendrick Nunn, who wasn't featured in Prism Basketball this year, but he is in Optic Basketball. He's been one of the hotter rookie names this year, and I've seen a number of questions on Instagram Lives lately asking about him, but I think you should probably pump the brakes a little bit. He is the classic case of one of these guys whose storylines from the first couple of weeks tends to hold on throughout the season, even when their play diminishes. His five October games were amazing, incredible, his best stretch by far. And he's just kind of been only okay in the months since then. In February, he's only scored 13 points, 2 rebounds, 3.5 assists, and the defense has not been very great at all. So, eh. But over that same time, his optic hollows, which just hit the market, have been kind of kind of all over the place, but some as high as even 75 bucks. Auctions going for up, up to $40. 
Those Optic rookies did not come with the name on them, which is obviously an error and an interesting wrinkle. But I just don't think moving forward, he's going to be a big winner for you. He's already almost 24, or he's already 24 years old, 24 and, and 200 days or something like that. And I think he just kind of becomes a guy in this league. His season-long on-off differential is sitting at 0.0, which is absolutely the definition of meh. And overall, I don't think his on-court performance is matching the market's sentiment. The market seems a lot higher than him on him than it should be. So if you're able to pull any from Optic NBA, I'd probably be selling right away. All right, that's all I have time for. Don't forget to subscribe to the Slab Stocks emails. Thanks for listening.